Chapter 2 Like I said, Anna Maria and I connected online, both of us surprised that the other had chosen this end of the internet dating pool. She never told me what her experience with online dating was, but I found the fish in that polluted sea to be a combination of losers and bottom feeders. Anna Maria Ippolito didn't look like your average social worker. She was a little taller than me, but then most everybody was. Like all of us heading into the late stages of middle age, I assumed her once athletic frame was going a bit soft, but I had no proof of that. It was her confidence and class that caught my eye, and led to more than a couple nice evenings together, evenings that didn't include sex. I don't know why we didn't click that way. She had great legs, gray hair that skimmed her shoulder blades, and bright turquoise reading glasses that she frequently forgot were on top of her head. She dressed well, wearing stylish knee-length jackets, ornate gauzy shawls that were as bright as her green eyes. Unlike a lot of social workers her age who were beaten into dumpy cardigan-wearing semi-alcoholics by years of ever-rising caseloads and ever-sinking budgets, Anna Maria had class, lots of it, and I had always been attracted to class. We all want our partners to have what we don't, right? Gracie had class loads, topped off with an education, her doctorate in music theory. Alicia did too. Class and education were the two things I lacked, given my blue-collar Irish-Italian childhood, the security police training I got at Lachlan Air Force Base, and the six-week police academy after that. Anna Maria was smart too, and a little flamboyant. Thanks to her Tuscan grandmother, she spoke Italian as well as French and pretty decent Spanish thanks to the influx of Mexican parents trying to keep their little hoodlums under control. Everyone in town knew her, if not for her work with troubled children, and for her performances in community theater. In addition to her command of languages, she was a great actress, performing everything from a boozy, angry Martha in Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf to the mayor's wife in The Music Man. Gracie and I had seen her perform in the summer theater productions more than once. But for some reason, I could never get Anna Maria in the sack. I tried, believe me. I tried. You do realize that sexually transmitted diseases are increasing by leaps and bounds among older adults, don't you? That was her coy response to my suggestion we got back to her place. It was our third date. We were having margaritas at Lupe's, the Mexican restaurant downtown. You sound very social workerish when you say that. I leaned in to kiss her. I do, don't I? She laughed and pulled away. I keep pamphlets and condoms in my purse so I can pass them out to all my dates. Can't blame a guy for trying, can you? No, Fitz. No, I can't. She sat up a little taller and crossed her legs, her body language letting me know that one, I didn't have a chance, and two, don't ask again. Anna Maria was reticent about sex, talking about it as well as doing it. I took that as part of her classiness. I figured I had to earn my way into her bed, and I was working hard to get there. I'd talked more than one no into a yes over the years, and I figured I could still get it. But for all my efforts, taking our relationship further was, frankly, a non-starter. Still, we had good times together, a lot in common. Like me, she came from the old neighborhood. Unlike me, she'd never left. She owned one of the old bungalows that lined New Tivoli's brick streets, built when smoke from the steel mills darkened the paint 
and filled pockets of the immigrants and yahoos who'd come to find a better life between and after the world wars. Apparently, it took death to get her out. New Tivoli was the Italian neighborhood, one of several ethnic neighborhoods in Fawcettville. The hillbillies, the blacks, and the Mexicans lived out toward the edge of town in Tubman Gardens, a ratty borough that edged next to the mills in the industrial area. My Fitzhugh grandparents lived in Galloway, the Irish neighborhood six blocks over from us, but my mother, Maria Gallioni Fitzhugh, insisted that we live among her family in New Tivoli. My father, Sergeant Aidan Fitzhugh, couldn't say no to her, which meant we became the only Mick family on the block. A small number of Greeks and Hungarians had immigrated to Fawcettville when the steel mills ran at full steam. They didn't have their own neighborhood, like us Micks and Wops, but found themselves tucked into some of the more nondescript corners of town. Anna Maria and I grew up together. Her folks were a couple blocks away from mine. Both of our families attended St. Rita's Catholic Church. The old ethnic neighborhoods weren't the only ones in F-Town. Farther away from the river, up the steep eastern Ohio hills that rose above the town, was where the doctors, the lawyers, municipal and county hotshots lived in big, sprawling houses. Alicia lived up there. She and probate boy, as I referred to him, had just bought one of those houses. As an elected official, she had to live within the county. It was probate boy's hard luck he had to commute to Akron. I was just surprised she hadn't moved out into the county, so he'd have less miles to drive, but hey... That was their business. She'd moved on. I probably should have, too. After a hitch in the Air Force, I lived in various apartments all over town. Some in New Tivoli, some not. Depended on how badly a landlord wanted to rent to a rowdy, testosterone-poisoned cop. That is, until I married Gracie and moved into the Tudor-style house she owned in overwhelmingly white-bred University Heights, where most of the college professors lived. I treasured the memories I had in that house with Gracie, but New Tivoli would always be home. Simple as that. I'd long said that my own proclivities made me successful in chasing down errant husbands for local divorce attorneys. I knew how they thought. It used to be a big game for me, a chance to win the testosterone sweepstakes, especially among my fellow cops. But now, as each of my online dates ended in failure, and the sheets on the other side of my bed stayed cold, I wondered why I ever thought that way to begin with. I wanted to grab every one of these wandering spouses and shake them, tell them to stop, to appreciate what they had, and work on whatever was wrong. Once the love of their life is gone, they're gone, and that's the loneliest feeling a man can ever know. Barnes dropped me back off at the shooting range. I drove straight to Anna Maria's bungalow to see what I could find out about who might be after her. Her younger sister, Carlotta, was sitting on the concrete steps, wrapped in her winter coat, biting her nails and wiping her eyes. Through Anna Maria's front window, I could see a crime scene cleanup crew, wearing white decontamination suits, working to clean up the mess. Carlotta stood up when I got out of the car and ran to me, sobbing. I knew her mainly through my younger sister, Katie. In high school, they dwirled batons together in marching band while I played football with Hugh Ippolito. Oh, Fitz, I can't believe this, can you? No, I can't. I hugged her. Who would do this? She asked, wiping her eyes. I was going to ask you that. Yesterday morning, I got a text from her asking me to meet me in my office after work. She said she was being targeted by someone dangerous, 
wanted my services. I was going to ask you if you knew anything. She shook her head. I have no idea, Fitz. Wait, there was a kid who was a real problem. You, you know the deal. Mom was calling the police when she should have been parenting. Then he came to be a serious police problem, a perpetual truant, you know, runaway. I think there were drugs involved, too. Yeah, sounds familiar. Nothing pisses a dispatcher or a cop off more than to get a call from a parent requesting someone to come over to get Junior out of bed and off to school in the morning. Talk about a waste of fucking taxpayer dollars. I've seen a lot of kids like this. Most of the little bastards are sharp as tacks. If the mom had stepped up to the plate like she was supposed to, the little kid would probably be a valedictorian instead of a vandal. I guess social services got involved somehow and his case landed on Anna Maria's desk. He's been a real problem, but as far as calling her at home, threatening her, I don't know. What's his name? She didn't answer, and she hid her face in my shoulder as the cleanup crew walked the wounded couch out the front door and into the back of their van. Blood was soaked up the back of the gray upholstery and across two seat cushions. Dark red stuffing bloomed from the cushions like five deadly carnations, where evidence techs had cut out the fatal bullets. Before some perp filled Anna Maria with lead, the couch had been classy, just like the rest of her place. Whoever pulled that trigger was angry about something. Really angry. It's okay, it's gone, I said as the van door slammed. Carlotta stood again and wiped her eyes. So what was this little fuck's name? She shook her head. She never told me any of her clients' names. Privacy laws, you know. The front door behind us slammed and Carlotta buried her head in my shoulder again as the cleanup crew came out with a rug stained with more blood. God, she loved that rug. She bargained for it in the marketplace in Cairo on one of our trips. In English, but she bargained with the merchant like a pro. She was so proud of it. Let's go get a cup of coffee, okay? Let them finish up. You can tell me more about Anna Maria. She nodded. Let me go get my keys and my cell phone. I followed her inside the house, noting the lack of damage on the door frame, and stood in the entryway as she found her things in the kitchen. Anna Maria must have known her killer to let him into the house. If she was seeing other men, maybe she opened the door and he just walked in. Or maybe the killer had a key. Why generalize? The shooter could have been female, too. Maybe I shouldn't assume there was a good relationship between Anna Maria and Carlotta, or the third sister, Vivian. The cleaning crew was nearly finished in this room, checking for more blood on the white walls and on the curtains. I looked around. The undamaged furniture was elegant and classy in understated grays. The color matched in the fleur de lis print of the curtains. In the center of the living room, one of the cleanup crew was wiping blood from the modern glass-topped coffee table. It looked alone in the middle of the room without the couch, even as it was flanked by two darker gray chairs with lines as stark as the murder scene itself. The back wall was one big bookshelf, filled with books, family photos, and trinkets from her trips. On the opposite wall, a huge flat-screen TV hung above the white brick fireplace, between two silver candelabras and more travel trinkets. I could see into the dining room, where the gray of the living room continued into eight tall Parsons chairs lined up down each side of a long black lacquer table. A matching black lacquer buffet had an eclectic collection of multicolored porcelain serving pieces. This place sure is classy, I said as Carlotta returned. I know. She smiled for the first time, 
Doesn't look like your average new Tivoli home, does it? No, it doesn't. You said the rug came from Cairo. Yeah, the serving ware on the buffet came from just about everywhere. Denmark, Italy. I think that platter came from Prague. Except for the living room. The place is pretty clean. I guess robbery wasn't a motive. You didn't see the bedroom. God, it's trashed. She pointed down the hall. What was missing? May I see it? Sure. That Detective Barnes went through it with the crime scene folks, but I don't know if they found anything. Did they leave with paper bags in their hands? A couple, yeah. Then they found something. And while the investigation is open, they'll never tell me what it was. Let me look anyway. You never know if something got missed. She led me down the hall, past a home office with a better desk than I ever hoped to work behind. Anna Maria must not have worked at home all that often. Dust lined the back half of the desktop, except for a small square where it looked like a computer's hard drive once sat. No doubt it was in the hands of the police now. Maybe it wasn't. Maybe the killer had it. I'd ask Barnes later. Not that he'd tell me, but I'd ask. We passed a roughly guest room that looked like it had never been slept in. Went down the hall to the master. The nails that held the tufted blue headboard to the wall above her queen-sized bed were the only thing that hadn't been ripped apart. Someone had slashed the fabric, pulled the mattress off the bed, and ripped the matching comforter and contrasting pillows open, sending white batting all over the floor. Drawers from the French provincial dresser were strewn across the floor, the clothing in each of them contained. Blue jeans and t-shirts mixed with what looked like very expensive bras and panties as well as a collection of pricey negligees mixed with more worn everyday sleepwear. Some of the drawers were broken apart, as if the killer was in search of a false bottom or had thrown the drawers violently in frustration. Suits and dresses, shoes and boots were everywhere as well as the killer, or killers, ransacked the walk-in closet. A hard-sided silver suitcase, the fancy kind with wheels and a chrome collapsible handle, lay in the middle of the floor. The lining pulled out. Two mirrored nightstands, one on either side of her bed, had also been eviscerated. The contents of the drawers, dental floss, a trashy romance novel, and an extra pair of reading glasses, were also on the floor. Jesus Christ. I stepped carefully over everything. What do you think they were looking for? Carlotta's hand was across her mouth again, trying to keep her tears from flowing. She lowered her hand, whispering, I don't know if it's... I really don't know. I leaned over and picked up a tube of what looked to me like lubricant. You sure she wasn't sleeping with anyone? Jesus Christ, Fitz, no. If you knew anything about women, you'd see that was hormone cream. She had it compounded specially by a pharmacy in Akron. She was in menopause. What did you think was going on? Didn't your sisters tell you anything? Or your wife? I'm sorry, Fitz. I tossed the cream onto the floor and sighed. It's okay. Gracie was just starting to have hot flashes when she found the lump in her breast. I guess if she'd lived, I would have known about this stuff. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Don't worry about it. I stuffed my pain and my ignorance back down into my soul and kept looking. Inside the closet, a wall safe hung open. Who opened it? The killer or Anna Maria? Was she forced to open it? Or had she been in the closet when the killer entered? A string of pearls hung halfway out of the safe. Velvet-covered jewelry boxes were also in there, dark red and blue. The boxes showed wear at the corners. 
I opened them to find a couple gaudy diamond cocktail rings and a diamond bracelet. Robbery was obviously not a motive. But where was a social worker getting the cash it took for her to have nice furniture, travel the world, and have a safe full of diamonds? Wow, that's some pretty fancy jewelry. Those were our mother's. She left those rings to me and Vivian and the bracelet to Anna Maria. They weren't really our style, so we didn't wear them. But we didn't want to sell them, you know? The pearls were our grandmother's. We were holding those for Vivian's daughter, Sophie. She was supposed to get the pearls when she graduated from high school. We wanted Anna Maria to keep it all here since she had the wall safe. A lot of good it did her. I shoved my arm further down inside the safe, my hands searching for something. A rise or a ridge in the sides or a bottom that indicated another compartment or drawer. Nothing. wonder if Barnes checked this. I squinted and tried again. This was Barnes's last case before retirement, and as much as I liked and appreciated him, he was a burnout. He probably should have retired right after I did, and that was ages ago. If Carlotta had told him about this little shit who might have threatened Anna Maria, what were the odds that he was getting a little sloppy? What if he didn't run his hand inside at all? What if he just pulled those reading glasses down from on top of his head and looked inside? I ran my hands inside the safe again, the sides and the bottoms, and this time, the top. My fingers stopped on a slight indentation. I moved my hand again, tracing the outlines of a drawer. Hang on a minute. I ran my hand across it again, finding a ring in the center. I locked my finger into it and pulled it down. Out slid a small black journal, with a key tied to a black silk ribbon wrapped around it. What the hell is this? 